Hi, welcome to today's episode of Speak Greasy at Max Street Kitchen, where we talk to those who've delighted us with their food right here in this kitchen. My guest today is Azmat Ali Mir, who is the founder of Sarposh, a restaurant based out of Bangalore that specializes in Kashmiri cuisine. So welcome to Magazine Street Kitchen, uh, Azmat. It's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much, Gauri. It's an honor. And I'm so thrilled because you're doing your first pop-up outside of your restaurant uh, with us here in Bombay. And I know I can't wait to to try everything. But uh, let's get right into it. And, you know, what on earth made you start uh, a restaurant? And tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, you're obviously from Kashmir, so uh, how did you end up in Bangalore? And- so I was born and brought up in Kashmir. Uh, I did my computer science engineering. And uh, post that, I moved to Bangalore in 2018 when I got married. I followed the natural progression of a computer science engineer getting into a corporate job. But I think I very quickly realized this is not where my heart belongs. This is not something that I am enjoying doing. And as a Kashmiri who wears her... Kashmiri heart on her sleeve. I think uh, it was it was just a matter of time that something like Sarposh would pop up in my life. I'm someone who uh, went from a non F and B background into having restaurants, and I know it's not the easiest business to be in. Who oh, asked uh, me about it? <laughs> that we'll save that for for off the record. But um, you know, I mean, how did you start? Like, uh, so it's a very interesting story. I When I moved to Bangalore, I got married into a non-Kashmiri family. And I think the fact that uh, my non-Kashmiri family did not understand my culture, my food and my cuisine as much was one of those things that triggered a thought in my head. But uh, everything sort of had ha- happened by chance. I was just homesick. I wanted a taste of home. And I wanted to uh, bring a bunch of people together because... When you move into a different space where people don't understand where you're coming from, your language, uh, your food, it it gets very lonely very fast. And I just wanted to put together something where people could, you know, maybe just talk in Kashmiri, uh, have a conversation in Kashmiri and be able to eat and connect over Kashmiri food. This small idea where I wanted to do something at home grew into something much larger, which became this massive event with 1,000 people in attendance. Uh, most of them Kashmiris. Over 800 at least were Kashmiris. So we flew in bands, poets, comedians, artists during that entire phase. And uh, when we actually did that, I really wanted the entire experience to also be about the food because nothing brings people to This was one event? It was one event. Wow. Yeah, so I flew in this team of chefs or vazas as they're called in Kashmir who cooked for my own wedding. Uh, they've been associated with our family for generations. And uh, everything that I'd really had in the name of Kashmiri food in Bangalore before that was horrible. I mean, I'd be very blunt and honest about it. it was just too bad a representation and I felt that uh, the cuisine is one of the most exquisite cuisines to exist with so much happening so many interesting elements so much science into it so I really wanted to kind of to do justice to the yeah a, a very honest representation of that food so when this team of chefs flew in they cooked the food People absolutely loved it and most of them were Kashmiris so I was sure that they would but uh, I still needed more evidence that this is something that would work in a city like Bangalore. Uh, I spent about a year 
juggling my corporate job with this little uh, passion baby of mine where uh, we would set up stores, do pop-ups, do events across the city just to understand whether people would accept something like this and whether they had a palate for something like this. And once we, you know, had a fair sense of where this is going, we, we just took the plunge and, uh, uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, and then you opened Sarposh in 2020. 2020. Right. Yes. And uh, of course, then uh, <laughs> disaster struck all of us. Uh, but, you know, what was that like? You just opened the restaurant and, uh, you know, I mean, of course, we know it. It all worked out well because you're, you're here today. But, uh, you know, what was that like? And especially because you were new to the the business, so to speak. I think it was really hard. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I remember uh, we had just about finished the interiors and were about to, you know, announce the launch date. And uh, uh, in the evening, the lockdown got announced. So... It was such a big... So you hadn't actually... We hadn't even opened. We hadn't even had a single day of operations. And when you when you put your heart and soul into a place, I, I still remember that moment of, uh, you know, just setting up the restaurant, setting up the tables and the chairs and, you know, having the setup in place and deciding when we would start doing trials and announce the, you know, launch date. And then the entire team having to come and pick everything back up, put it back in the boxes that we just opened them out of. Uh, and, you know, turning over the chairs and putting them over the table. I still remember that. And it was such a gut-wrenching feeling. Because it's one thing to fail, you know, after trying. But it's... it's you didn't even get the chance yeah, to try. It's completely another thing when you've not even... When you've not even tried. So, um, that was really hard. And uh, I remember almost giving up but I took a quick uh, rejuvenating trip back to Kashmir and I think that reminded me why I did something like this in the first place. I remember sitting my parents down and telling them I've reached the end of my rope here and I don't think I can pull this any longer. I quit my job by then. My husband had gotten involved in the restaurant and you know uh, there were huge financial commitments and, and with COVID his business was suffering. I had nothing to kind of look back to. And uh, my parents just said, you know, if it's really just about the money, we're going to pitch in. But why are you really giving up? You've put in so much. Uh, all we're asking is, is just let this organically do what it needs to do till December. And if you don't think it's going to work beyond that, we support you and, you know, you can shut it down. Uh, with, with that in mind, I remember it was the 2nd of September. I flew back. Uh, to Bangalore from Kashmir and uh, I remember standing at the door of my restaurant and opening that door and thinking to myself this is it till the 31st of December I'm going to leave this door open and see if people walk in if they do well and good it's going to hurt like hell but if they don't I will close this door without having any hard feelings about it was well, safe to say yeah. people people yeah. swarmed in and uh you know, here we are today. So uh, amazing. And, you know, you're right. This industry is one that requires a lot of resilience, a lot of patience. Um, and nothing comes easy or fast. So, uh, you know, well done to you. And I'm, I'm glad it all worked out in the end. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the food. Uh, so tell us a little bit about like the Wazwan. And of course, the Wazas who are the cooks who are trained to cook the Wazwan. 
you know, what is the special sort of um, qualification in a way that, you know, allows you to be to call yourself a, a Vaza? I think I'll try and address this in two parts. I think uh, the first part would be why Vazvan in the first place. Uh, Kashmir is one of those places that is uh, extremely vulnerable to people having opinions about it. And there are all sorts of opinions that come from all sorts of people. Yet, uh, there's very little understanding. And uh, when it comes to the food of the region, I think that reflects in the overall uh, lack of understanding. Vazwan is one of those things that people, when you talk about Kashmiri food, it's the first thing that comes to people's mind, even if they don't really know anything about it. Uh, but the popularity in that sense has never really translated to uh, the food being represented in the right manner. You find a lot of restaurants uh, serving things which, which, which you know they call a roganjosh or a Kashmiri palau interpretations and representations. A bastardized version yeah. in a way of the of the food which is yeah. uh yeah. For me the reason Vazwan was the first place that we started because it was one of those uh things that people knew something about but not quite. Yeah. And we wanted to start from the basics. We wanted to start from dispelling all the misconceptions around the food by doing it right in the first place and telling people what it really is in the first place and then moving on to the other things. As you said, you know, there's no specific qualification to become a Vaza like there is to become a chef. Vazas are actually a community of people from the Sheena-speaking uh, Gurez region who inherited the craft of preparing this food. And it is still date a very closely guarded secret. Of course, there are a lot of people who get involved in the profession uh, now out of will and choice and out of the amount of money it pays. And, and as you said, you know, it's Kashmir's festive tradition. It's Kashmir's way of showing hospitality. Vazwan is one of those things which is uh, the, the zenith of Kashmiri hospitality, I would say. But there are a lot of people who are getting involved in the profession. But it takes years for most of them to even reach the point where they can be called an apprentice. Wow. So, so you know, there's a lot of manual labor that goes into it. There's a lot of science. But a Vastavaz, a, a, you know, the head chef of sorts, or, you know, the, the Vaza who really, the head Vaza, usually just inherits the, the craft. And I, I'm a firm believer of, uh, you know, the kind of flavors that certain hands have within them. There's, there's some sort of magic that certain hands are blessed with. And I think that community is blessed with that magic. And that's how they continue that tradition. Which is true with a lot of professions in Kashmir, including the professions of bakers as well. So, you know, a lot of these are passed down crafts and uh, all of that. Uh, that said, I mean, of course, Vazwan is celebratory in nature. But there's so much more to Kashmiri food as well. There's a lot of vegetarian dishes that are done. There are, yeah, that because you know, I mean, we tend to associate Kashmiri food with a lot of meat and a lot of spice. Yeah, well, I mean, spice, but like you know, the the dairy, the meat, um, not as much vegetables because obviously there's it's a very harsh winter. Um, so you know what what's the veg? I mean, you you know the like the the common um, ingredients like uh, morels and the um, uh, the haksag and. I know you're doing a whole, you, you have a whole veg, a vegetarian part of your menu and you're doing a vegetarian wazwan as well. Um, but tell us a little bit more about the vegetarian food. Uh, you know, one, one small 
correction, I would say. There's no such thing as a vegetarian vazwan. Yeah. A vazwan is a meat-heavy, uh, multi-course meal. Uh, vegetarian dishes, certain vegetarian dishes have gotten incorporated into the vazwan over the last 60, 70 years. But traditionally, the vazwan's always been about meat. Uh, the vegetarian dishes, though, are things that Kashmiris eat uh, fairly often. Uh, like you said, you know, the morals are one of the most well-known ingredients available, yet it's one of those things that 90% of Kashmiris would not have tasted or eaten ever in their lives. Really? It's one of those things that is exclusively for marketing. It's it's one of those things that's uh, foraged exclusively to be able to to sell it. Wow, and not to consume I have no it. idea. The haq, on the other hand, which is, which is the Kashmiri equivalent, like haq with rice, is the Kashmiri equivalent to a dal chawal, is the poor man and the rich man's food. It's everyone's food. It's universal. So you'll find that in all houses. But Kashmir has six seasons, as opposed to, to the regular beliefs that there are four seasons. There are six seasons in Kashmir. And every season, uh, there's a new form of, of uh, produce that, that grows and a new form of produce that is used. Kashmiris have also really always followed this this mantra of garam and sarad, which means uh, heaty and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cooling down. Yeah, is is cooling in nature, and a certain dish is you know sort of warming in nature in a certain sense. But it's also interchangeable in what form you're using it. So, uh, of course, with with the arrival of spring and summer, there are a lot of uh, greens that grow in, I think there are about 30 odd varieties of greens that Kashmiris eat. And you bring, I mean, I'm guessing these are not available locally in Bangalore, uh, so you would bring them in. Yeah, all of it flies directly. A lot of the ingredients that we use at Sarposh fly in uh, directly from Kashmir, even though some of them may be available in the Bangalore market. But we're strong believers of uh, the Hava Pani of Kashmir being a certain way and doing it's certain things. It's one of the key ingredients. And it, it is, it is yeah. one of the ingredients in all of the food that you eat at Sarposh. So, uh, all of that. But uh, I think there are very interesting traditions that uh, you get towards autumn and summer where a whole host of vegetables are dried and stored for the winter, which are then consumed in winter. So, like a bottle guard is uh, sarad in summers when it's used fresh. But when you cut silvers out of it and sun dry it in autumn and then cook it in winters, it has a garam tasir. So all of those interesting traditions that exist. Does the, I mean, what you eat change quite drastically, not just in terms of ingredients, because it could be the same ingredient, but just in a different like fresh versus a dried. So does that change the dishes also that you tend to eat over the year? I think we're now living in a world that is so connected that these conversations, even though are very important to your food ecosystems, have sort of started taking a back seat. I can get a, a, a bottle guard, a fresh bottle guard in the peak of winter in Kashmir now because, you know, supplies are coming from all over the world. But back in the day when the only connection to the outside world used to be through the silk route, which used to get snowed up in the winter, and you had to rely on local produce and you had to rely on what was locally available. People had to find ways to be able to save products for, you know, the winter months, the harsh winter. And winters used to be much harsher than they are now, thanks to climate change. So all of those factors, I 
think a lot of these conversations uh, are not being spoken about as often because the impact is not as much. But we're not realizing the kind of impact that having on our overall uh, food ecosystems. Yeah. So again, coming back to what you serve in the restaurant. So you know, is it that um, what can people experience other than the 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 dishes that are traditionally part of a wazwan? So uh, with every change of season, we try and make sure we fly in a specific produce that is available during those times. Uh, we fly in lotus stems. We fly in, even though you know you get lotus stems from Mangalore and you get it from Mysore and. Uh, all those places, they just don't cut it for us. We fly in our lotus stem directly from Kashmir. Of course, the hark is something that that forms a regular feature of our menu. We also fly in bumsoont, which is quince, which is a sour tangy uh, fruit vegetable uh, that uh, gets prepared in Kashmir quite a lot. And that's something that flies in. Uh, all sorts of different Kashmiri greens, which include your red amaranthus, your mallow, dried dandelion, uh, these are things that fly in. We we use a lot of spring onion every once in a while, especially in the vegetarian fare. When it comes to the meaty affair, I think you really cannot beat the the vazwan. We also do uh, dry, when when it comes to the dried vegetables, we do things like dried turnips. We fly in our rajma from the Badarwa region of Kashmir, where you get the best rajma. So we really pick and choose what you get where, and it's not just. Uh, these specific ingredients which form, you know, which are the heroes of the dishes that we are making, but also small ingredients that have big impact. Uh, the cumin that we use is uh, the Himalayan cumin and it's foraged from dras and gurez. And that that's something that... And it's a different flavor. It's a different flavor altogether. Uh, the dried mint that we use and, you know, mint is right, available everywhere, right? But we grow our own mint in Kashmir. Most of it still grows in my own kitchen garden. It gets right there in the sun, hawa pani of Kashmir and flies into Bangalore and is used in our food. Our uh, Kashmiri red chilies that we use, we've been through an entire year of research to be able to get the right chili in place. And we now have a whole bunch of farmers that grow it for us. With the vazwan, the most important ingredient that you have is the pran, which are the wild shallots, which form the base of the gravy. Because there is no onion, no ginger, no garlic, no tomato in any of the food in vazwan at all. Not even oil. It's all ghee. So the pran is a very important ingredient. And it has a very short growing span between June and July, which is when you have to harvest it, you have to clean it, you have to process it, and you have to keep it for the rest of the year. So you'll always find me in Kashmir <laughs> during those months. And it's a beautiful time to be, so I'm not complaining. You were talking about sort of um, the smaller ingredients, but uh, also the spices, right? Like in the spices that we're used to eating and, you know, in our, like, uh, the food of this region is something I understand isn't as common in uh, in Kashmiri food. And you use very different spices as the... So tell us a little bit about that as well. So in most Indian food, or I would say most South, South Asian food, South East Asian, like this, the subcontinent region, uh, the base masalas that form, you know, the flavor profile for your food would be turmeric, chili, then you'll use cumin powder and you're going to use coriander powder. Right. But the major flavors that you get in Kashmiri food come from, of course, chili, turmeric, but it's fennel seed powder and dry ginger powder. So it's a lot of fennel that comes through. It's a lot of dry ginger that comes through. And it's not just that. It's also, you know, 
the use of mustard oil in home food, whether it's Pandit style or whether it's Muslim style, uh, the use of heeng by Kashmiri, uh, Kashmiri Pandits, whereas Kashmiri Muslims would use either Himalayan garlic or pran to get that, uh, you know, the wild shallot to get that absolute zing in the flavor, uh, food. So all of these uh, differences in how a Kashmiri masala is made, like, you know, you, you see most, most of your subcontinent masalas being made in onions and tomatoes and, you know, these spices. But it's completely different. So the flavor profile is completely different. Well, I've been listening to you sort of talking about the the menu, um, you know, for for Max Street Kitchen, and I'm I can't wait uh, uh, to try it. But you, you know, let let's talk a little bit about the drinks. I mean, um, that's something that uh, you know, kava again is is one of the most popular, and uh, you know what people. I mean, I I love kava, and I actually I know it's a it's a winter. Uh, it's something that's drunk more in the winter. Is that fair to say? But now people just drink it, it through the year. I think I think kava is a beverage of choice across seasons. It's it's like chai. Even if it's forty degrees, people who drink chai will drink chai. <laughs> Similarly, people who drink kava or noon chai, for that matter, would more than kava. I think noon chai is one of those things that uh, really is a Kashmiri traditional drink that Kashmiris would drink. Kava is more of something that would be served and there, there's not, you know, you don't have just one version of kava. There are multiple versions of kava. You have a saffron kava. Then there's a story that keeps doing the rounds where they say that there was this one guy who took a pot of boiling water, added 11 ingredients into it, had a sip and said, wah, kah in Kashmiri is 11. So kah, wah. So, you know, there, there, there are weird stories. I feel cheated because you made this with like four, <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> no, so there are, there are multiple versions. There's a dood kava version, which is made with milk as well, which, uh, which is exclusively served to the bridegroom the first time he comes to the bride's house. So you've got all these versions of kava happening. But uh, if there's a drink that truly uh, defines Kashmiri, you know, you know Kashmiri beverage culture, I would say it's the noon chai. Which, by the way, is not chai that you drink at noon. <laughs> it's uh, it's salty chai, right? So uh, that's something I think that most, uh, I mean, I, I know in Bombay, like chai is such a, you know, cutting chai and it's like sweet as, as hell. So, um, you know, when, I mean, people, what's behind sort of noon chai and Drink. I mean, is it eaten with maybe sweet snacks and that's sort of how it's uh, balanced out? So with Kashmiri food, there's a very interesting thing happening. Every time you try talking about one specific segment of Kashmiri food, it leads you into another. And then there's another culture that you start exploring. So there's a whole bread culture around. Right. I mean, I wanted to talk about that because we're we're in a venue that produces bread, but yeah. very different from uh, Kashmir bread. So, yeah, I mean. So there's a whole bread culture that gets associated when you start talking about Kashmiri teas. There's, uh, you know, if you ask me, I would I would probably uh, have two, two distinct versions of the bread culture. One would be the traditional bakeries called the Kandurvans, which have, you know, these sunken earthen pit uh, tandoors, which are wood-fired and, uh, you know, very traditional, very similar to your tandoors, and the breads that come out of them are very similar to your Central Asian breads. And on the other hand, you have your colonial hangover breads, the the English-inspired tea culture that you uh, have in Kashmir. Interestingly, in Kashmir, all of your, you know, your cutting chai or your regular chai, irrespective of what brand it is, is called Lipton chai. 
Oh, yeah. So, so what great branding for Lipton? <laughs> Free branding yeah. since forever. So, it's it's irrespective of what brand it is. It is a Lipton chai, and those are generally served with your traditional bakery breads, where uh, you know you've cakes, you've cream cream buns and eclairs and pastries and patties, which are like a huge huge part of Kashmiri culture. But it's the traditional breads which are in these small hole in the wall shops. It's also very similar to how you bread culture in in places like Goa, first you know, where there's a community bakery, and everybody goes and buys their own bread. So you know, you buy your bread in the morning, uh, and that's what's had with uh, your noon chai. So there's a whole host of breads that we do in in Kashmir, ranging from your gilda sort uh, to your lavasa to your sochwar. uh shirmal bakirkhani and your shirmal and bakirkhani are vastly different from uh what the subcontinent in general considers shirmal and bakirkhani or kulcha for that matter a kulcha is like a cookie and uh, you know it's got poppy seeds sprinkled on it so different kinds and kulchas are very uh, often had with uh, kava shirmal is had with kava which is also crispy flaky sweetened bread but with the noon chai it's always these breads which are generally lathered on with butter you break them apart you add them to your tea and uh, it's almost like you're having soup uh, so that that's how the flavor profile is it's something that isn't unlike other cuisines around india it just hasn't spread its wings as uh, widely and I, i think you're doing an incredible job and of course if you're in bangalore please 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 visit sarposh and uh, and hopefully one day uh we we will find you opening in bombay as well so i say that for selfish reasons but uh, yeah hopefully so um you know i really wish you all the best and um i can't wait to eat everything wait make my way through the menu i'm looking forward to serving everybody in bombay it's uh you know it's been super exciting for us this is the first time we've stepped outside of our kitchen so it's you know quite like stepping outside of our comfort zone but your entire team and has made it a super easy journey so we couldn't have asked for a better team to do this with right thank you so much